Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. For those of you who are new to Radio Islam, we welcome you. We're a live call in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM, and you can hear our live stream at www.wcev1450.com or now you can check us out on the TuneIn app. Just look up WCEV and you'll find us there. Uh, folks, if you haven't already done so, keep up with us on social media by following and liking us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And if you have a comment or a question you'd like to pose throughout the course of tonight's show, we would love to hear from you at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Radio Islam family, this is a good day because, uh, first of all, I passed my emissions test of my car, and I went to the dentist for a cleaning, and I felt like I was in a NASCAR pit stop. Uh, It was that quick, which has never happened before, so shout out to my dental hygienist, but uh, maybe we will talk about that later. Uh, Anyway, uh, one of the areas that I have personally uh, spent a good deal of time in, uh, 10 to 15, maybe 20 uh, past years, uh, has been with Interfaith Dialogue. And this kind of dialogue has taken greater and greater significance, especially as some have actively tried to drive wedges of mistrust and suspicion between our society, and they use fear and ignorance to achieve that. Um, and it's all about political and social control. So those people who take on the responsibility of helping us to see each other, uh, of educating those closest to us, of being, of being bridges. These are people I admire. Uh, so Radio Sound family, joining us by phone is one of those bridges, one of those people, Jordan Denary Duffner. Uh, Jordan is a leading Catholic voice on Muslim-Christian dialogue and Islamophobia and is the author of the new book, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. She's currently pursuing a Ph.D. in Theological and Religious Studies at Georgetown University and is an associate with the Bridge Initiative, where she previously worked as a research fellow studying Islamophobia. A former Fulbright researcher and a man, Georgia, uh, excuse me, a man, Jordan, uh, she has written about Islam and Catholicism in numerous outlets, including the Washington Post and Time. Welcome to Radio Islam, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, first of all, did I mispronounce your name? Uh, no, nope, you got it right. Okay, all right, all right. Good for us here. Um, first of all, let me say that I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Um, oh, I, thank you. Yeah, I found it uh, approachable, direct, uh, inspiring. Uh, now, this book is directed toward the toward the Catholic reader, but I think readers of any faith tradition are going to find uh, value in it. So, go, uh, yeah, if, did you want to reply well, to that? <laughs> you know, that, that's what I hope. You know, I think um, th- this book was, as you mentioned, directed at um, at a Catholic. Christian audience. My the publishing company that I worked with for the book was a Catholic company, um, but but like you said, I, I hope the message is one that can resonate uh, with people um, across faith traditions because you know the message of the book is that um, through inter interreligious dialogue with those of other faiths, we can deepen our relationship with God, and I think that's something that um, that we can experience regardless of you know what our own faith tradition is or the faith tradition of of the people that. 
um, that we're meeting in dialogue. And that's why it's been so fun in these last um, several weeks since the book has come out to hear stories from not just fellow Catholics, but people from all these different faith traditions um, who have had similar experiences. Mm, that's great. That's great. And I think a good point, to, a good step and off point would be to talk about the purpose of dialogue, uh, mm-hmm. be, because that can that can vary depending on uh, the faith tradition's understanding uh, of the purpose and the uh, or the intent behind it. So uh, how do you define the purpose of dialogue? Well, well, like you said, a lot of people have different ideas of, of what dialogue should be for, or what the purpose of dialogue should be. You know, some might say that it's necessary for peace in our communities or that um, we need to dialogue so we can work together to remedy social ills. Um, but, but for me, and, you know, I think for um, the Catholic Church and for my fellow Catholics, we should think about dialogue as something deeper than that. Um, and I think the goal of it is actually really... Um, theological. It, it's about growing closer to God, um, try, you know, getting to know God better, growing in relationship with God. Um, there, there's a metaphor that I use in the book um, in the introduction um, to, to describe dialogue, and um, I, I take it from the writings of uh, a Catholic priest um, who was uh, very deeply engaged in interreligious dialogue with Muslims um, during his life. He lived in Algeria, <clears throat> and he talked about it as digging a well to God. It's this joint effort um, to, you know, dig dig deeper um, for God and to do that together. Um, you know, and it's not, um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, the Christian God or the Muslim God. You know, it's not, um, uh, it's not only, you know, one of our views of God that we're going to find at the bottom, but it's, it's, it's who God is at the bottom. It's, so I, I love this idea of dialogue as this mutual discovery together of, of who God is and um, and taking this journey of faith uh, together as as fellow believers. You use uh, in the book this this phrase, uh, and I believe it, I think you attribute it also to uh, another uh, father, another scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, convergence. It's about convergence, not conversion. And I thought that that was just really, really powerful. Right. Well, I think um, you know sometimes um, you know sometimes. I think people from from both of our faith traditions might think that um, dialogue is is used as a tool to to convert others. Um, you know, and I think there are both Catholics and Muslims that would push back against that and say, no, it's it's you know that's that's not um, necessarily what it's about. That doesn't mean that um, our traditions don't also um, call for for people to um, acknowledge the truth as as we see it. That might be part of it at times, but. You know, at least in the way that Catholics talk about it, you know, dialogue is equally part of, of the Church's mission. It's something, um, it, it's something that, that happens in addition to, um, you know, what is often called proclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when, when I enter into dialogue, I'm not necessarily seeking, um, I'm not seeking a change in, in the person's religious affiliation who's in front of me. Um, you know, if, if there is a conversion that happens, it's, it's this mutual conversion um, that, that happens together in our relationship towards God. You know, I think even within our own um, religious uh, identities and affiliations, uh, we all are called to to this constant state of conversion of you know turn literally turning uh, turning towards God. So, um, like you know, and that can happen together in convergence, like you were saying, coming together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And from uh, from the Muslim perspective, uh, Quranically speaking, that there is a 
uh, an obvious recognition of this connection of the of the faith uh, traditions within the, uh, the Abrahamic faiths in particular, um, mm. which which means that there is inherently within this idea of uh, I guess of, of Muslim existence is is that it's one that is a, it's a pluralistic um, mm. existence. Um, well, and I, and I love the idea um, in the Quran. I, I forget what the what the exact verse numbers are, but um, you know, God talks about you know I've created you so that you get to know one another, and yes. you know, inherent. And in, I think even in the in the Arabic word um, to arafu, it's like a, it's a it's about about doing something together or with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's there's an acknowledgement that that we are diverse. Um, but that shouldn't necessarily um, inhibit our um, our unity. Yes, absolutely. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about um, holy envy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, th- I thought that was sure. another wonderful, uh, wonderful phrase. Right. So this was um, the, the term holy envy is uh, is a phrase that was coined by um, uh, a Christian scholar named Christopher Stendhal and. Um, I talk about it in the book because it's something that I feel like I myself um, have experienced in my own life, in my relationships with Muslims, and my um, my exposure to and my immersion into the Islamic tradition. And it's it's this idea that there's there's something that you know belongs to the the other faith community, but it's something that we admire and something that we may we may even want for ourselves in in some respect. Um, and the two things um, that come to the fore in my own experience with regard to that are. Um, well, two things: community. Um, I, I so admired the community that I that I saw among my Muslim friends, this, this faith community that they had. Um, but also, the the regularity of prayer and this commitment to prayer. Uh, I talk about in the book how much I um, how much I loved um, having the call to prayer in my life when I lived in Jordan because it was this this external thing that was prompting me to prayer was I, I didn't only have to rely on my, you know, my own impetus to, to um, remember to pray, but it was something that, um, you know, God was calling me um, externally too, and uh, I, I miss um, having my day punctuated by that reminder to step back and be grateful and, you know, to acknowledge that God is greater, you know, God is greater than my... Um, yeah, you know, then you know the the worries that I have or the the problems that are are facing our world, and um, so that's you know the the call to prayer and the regularity of and the commitment to that prayer is something that I definitely have uh, have holy envy for. Yes. Um, now, speak speaking of prayer, because prayer is such a it is such a personal and intimate mm. um, expression, you know, on the behalf of the petitioner um, to to the creator. Mm-hmm. And and it and depending on on where you are, what your faith tradition is, uh, it has its own mode of prayer. So, how do you and you talk about this in the book about <clears throat> developing a sensitivity to uh, to others uh, to their to the call of prayer? But I I would I would also say that that includes their mode of prayer as well. Uh, so, how is that developed in in, in your opinion? Well, um, you know, I think. As you mentioned, um, Christians, for example, might look at, at Muslim prayer um, and see, oh, that 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 appears to be really different from uh, from the way that we pray. You know, even just um, looking at the um, the physiology of it, the way the way we use our bodies in prayer. And so, um, you know, I've had I've had some friends say things like, well, you know, 
how am I as a Christian ever going to know what it feels like to be a Muslim and pray? Even if I um, engage in in Salah, I still don't know what it feels like to be uh, to be a Muslim and to pray as as Muslims do. And the thing that I've said um, to folks is, you know, I I would I would assume that the way you feel praying in Mass or um, in church is a lot more similar to the way Muslims feel praying Salah than than you might realize. Um, you know, I think we all have this yearning for and desire for um, the divine, and obviously that um, gets expressed in lots of different ways, different rituals, different postures. Um, but I think there's this universal experience that, that we all have um, and that we can re- respect in the other. Um, uh, as you alluded to in the book, one of the things I, um, I talk about is um, the, the, how grateful I am that that my Muslim friends pray and that they pray for me and that I can go to them when I, you know, when I have um, an issue that I'm dealing with or I have a, a prayer request, um, that, that, there's, that there are people I can go to uh, to, to ask for, for their prayers. And so uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is this idea of spiritual solidarity, how we support one another, not just in, um, you know, our typical daily lives on an external level, but also how do we support one another spiritually. And um, I'm so grateful for, you know, the prayers that, that my Muslim friends um, say for me, and, and also the fact that they ask, um, ask me to pray for them. There's, there's a real solidarity in that that I appreciate. Uh, I think, I really think that's beautiful, and that really just exemplifies the idea of convergence. convergence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, your book also, uh, because it's, it's not... It's not a rose-colored uh, picture of reality. Um, mm. I think that it, it pushes us to uh, to ask some hard questions and f- for some self-assessment. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that that I that I'd like to bring up is the the internal and the external resistance uh, mm. to dialogue. And and I can I can attest to this that there are uh, that there are Muslims just as I know personally uh, of Christians who don't really who, who don't look at dialogue as something as something that uh, that they should really engage in mm-hmm. um, so uh, what what have been your experiences uh, in not just putting the book together but being somebody who has who has spent so much time um, developing these relationships and sensitivities what what are the things that you have uh, that you have noticed about this this internal and external resistance sure um well, you know, I think there's there's two levels of this um, of this that, that that I've experienced. You know, one is on the internal level. Um, you know, the biases that all of us walk around with. Um, one of the things that I spend a lot of time talking about in in the book is the ways that Christians and you know I myself have to grapple with the stereotypes and the prejudices and the biases that um, that we've been brought up with when it comes to how we view Muslims. Um, you know, none of us. Uh, uh, are, are immune from from those biases, and so one of the things that that I try to do in the book is, um, you know, sh- first of all, tell the reader that you know if you do have these uh, these hesitancies, these resistance in your in yourself, that that's that's not something to be ashamed of, but it's something to to notice and to work against. And I talk about how um, in my own life I have been confronted with the prejudices and the biases that I hold on to. I tell, I tell a story, um, uh, I tell a story in, um, in the book 
about um, being in Jordan and how um, my uh, and how I, I was listening to. I heard a, a, a man with a speakerphone outside, and he was um, he was yelling into the speakerphone. And I asked my host mom. I said, "Who who is that? You know, what what is that person doing?" And in the back of my mind, you know, this, this is during the Arab Spring, and um, in the back of my mind, I had this sort of stereotypical view of, you know, this angry political agitator. And my, my host mom said to me, she said, um, she said to me, you know, that's just the guy selling fruit. Um, <laughs> that's just the guy selling fruit out, out of the back of his truck. And I was really confronted with, yeah. um, with this negative image that I had had to hold on to. So, so that's one level of it. And then the second is, uh, uh, you know, internal within my own Christian community. And I think there's a lot of people who are, hesitant to engage in dialogue because they are afraid that they're going to lose their faith in the process. And one of the things that I hope my book demonstrates is that, um, you know, this, this process can actually help us grow in faith. Um, you know, and, and it's not that we should participate in dialogue because it's going to immediately, you know, we shouldn't only participate in dialogue as, um, because we think it'll help strengthen our, our Catholicism or something. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but we shouldn't be afraid to um, you know, to venture outward because it's it's not nece- it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to um, to lose that relationship with God or the relationship that we have with our um, Christian community. Right, right. Now, you know, I think it's once again, I think it's important, especially in the society at the time that we live in, uh, that we are willing to be honest with ourselves uh, and and just to admit to say that we all have biases, um, right. and. But what's important is how we how we respond to them, how we allow allow those biases to to shape uh, our actions and our impressions of people once we're exactly. conscious. Exactly. So yeah, that that's that's a critical a critical point, uh, and and I think I think it segues really uh, I think naturally into once we're at that point where we are recognizing our own biases, uh, how yeah. do we respond to? Uh, the people that are around us, especially, particularly the people that that we love, our families, our friends, that are uh, that are demonstrating they're acting through through bias. Uh, basically, they're, they're yeah. we don't want to call them bigots, but they have bigoted right. attitudes, right? So yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a difficult thing, um, you know. As you were saying, responding to to bigotry that's um, that's committed by people that we love, and um, I think there's there's um, two poles that we want to avoid with that. Um, the first is not responding at all, right? Um, and I know for me, um, I'm often tempted to um, to just not respond at all um, sometimes, or to just let something go uh, where I don't I don't say anything about it. You know, a comment from you know a family friend or someone I know, and they'll say something that's borderline, you know, prejudicial or straight up prejudicial and sometimes I think, oh, you know, it's, it's not worth it to, you know, to get them upset in this moment. And so I just don't say anything. On the other side, you know, you have where we respond um, overzealously and we respond in, in anger, right? Um, and, you know, that's not helpful either, as you were saying, because um, the other person feels like we're shutting them down. And we, we also cut off the conversation when we, um, when we speak to them and respond to this bigotry um, in anger. So I think we have to, to chart a, a middle way with this. Um, and one of the things that, that I myself try to do um, is to really uh, 
appeal to, to people's good naturedness. And, you know, I think that most people who even hold on to positions or, you know, points of view or they act in ways that we find to be immoral, you know, they think of themselves as good people. Um, they think of themselves as people who want to make the world a better place. And so, you know, regardless of what their views actually are, um, that is something that, that I can work with. That's something that we have in common, right? This, you know, that we all are, are in this to make the world a better place. You know, we might not all be um, perfect at doing that, but, you know, that's where I can enter into a conversation um, with someone who, um, you know, has a point of view that I, that I want to challenge. Because um, you really can't begin that conversation by questioning someone's motives. I think most people have good motives, even if they're not, um, even if what the position that they're advocating is, is really um, problematic. Right. Right. Uh, Radio Slime family, we're talking with Jordan Denary Duffner. Uh, she is the author of, let me go back to it because I read the book. <laughs> it's a long title. <laughs> yes, uh, but, but it's a great title. Uh, it is Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. Uh, and yeah, and I would definitely recommend it as a read. Do you have? Do you, do you are, are you pressed for time right now? Do you have a few minutes to, to hang I out? I do. With us? I have. I have more time. Okay, great. All right. So look, what we're going to do is we're going to take a really quick break. Uh, we'll come back and we'll pick up our conversation, folks. If you want to join in, you can give us a call at three one two seven five zero one one seven eight. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Radio Islam. We are broadcasting on WCEB 1450 AM. And streaming, reaching the world live at www.wcev1450.com. Uh, remember, folks, you can also catch us on TuneIn now. Just look up WCV and you will find us there, either the live broadcast or the podcast. Uh, let's get back to our conversation. We are talking with Jordan Denary Duffner. She is the author of How uh, Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. Um, yes, yeah, so welcome back to part two. <laughs> so, um, uh, Jordan, let, let me ask this. Um, we're talking about, you know, attitudes and, and, the, and the right way uh, or more productive ways of uh, of responding to biases or, or bigotry that, that comes from folks that are around us, uh, people that we love. Um, have have you had readers respond to you or, or, or share any you know, share any feedback with you with regard to just to that one area? Uh, that one area in terms of uh, effective ways to, to respond yeah. and uh, to this sort of thing? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think readers have, have had, um, had, had similar experiences. Uh, you know, I think, as I mentioned before, before the break, um, it, it's about recognizing that, you know, we're all, we're all in this, um, at least on a, on a conscious level to, you know, to make things better, to make the world a better place. And obviously we all have long ways to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, addressing things uh, positively is, is going to be most effective. You know, it's, it's funny you bring this up because I've recently been dealing with um, so, some more trolls on social media than I typically do. And, um, you know, a, a lot of times there's a temptation to, uh, you know, to respond to them or to respond forcefully. But, Usually that's that's not um, effective, and you know I think social media is a great place to be um, having conversations. But a lot of times um, these more difficult ones, where we're you know confronting our own biases and confronting biases in other people, um, happen better on um, you know in uh, in an in person context or in a more one on one situation where it's not you know performed in front of you know hundreds of people on our Facebook pages and things like that. Right. And and just to just to comment on that, it really feels like uh, social media has such great potential, and it's it's done a lot of. It's been a great platform for a um, number of things, but uh, there it, it does seem to have some limitations when it comes to uh, when it comes to dialogue. Um, that's that's a different type of engagement, you know, that takes a bit more patience. Uh, and like you said, with the trolls, there are people who who use it just for that, just for that purpose of, of being yeah. an aggressor. So, uh, but obviously that must mean you're doing something right. 
if you have more, uh, if there are more trolls that are coming at you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you think that hate, <clears throat> excuse me, that hate is ignorance or unwillingness? And, and let me just add a little, little bit to that. Uh, just with regard to what you just mentioned, you said that it's 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 harder for people to uh, look at themselves, a lot easier to look at somebody else and pull out their flaws. Right. So when it comes to looking at ourselves, do you feel like hate is ignorance or it's just an unwillingness to, to look within? You know, I I myself am, am kind of averse to this to this word hate because I. I I, I'm not always sure um, what it means. I mean, I think definitely, um, you know, there's there's vitriol and there's, um, you know, ha- hateful ways that, that positions are expressed. Um, you know, but, but I think, uh, you know, you're asking if it's, if it's ignorance or it's unwillingness. I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have friends, I have people in my, my Catholic community who, um, who are just misinformed. Now, you know, that, you know, misinformation or, or an ignorance, I should say, on its own um, isn't, isn't really problematic. I mean, there's plenty of things that, you know, we are, as people are um, uninformed about, and that doesn't lead us to have, you know, vitriolic responses um, right. to these things. So, you know, I think that's where, as you're saying, um, you know, fear or unwillingness comes in as well. I think, I think sometimes it's scary um, for people to to acknowledge that um, goodness might exist outside of one's own community, especially when our own sense of identity is wrapped up in, um, you know, a feeling of superiority about our own group. And so um, that's why I think it's really important that, you know, obviously we, we honor and we respect our, um, our respective religious identities and groups. At at the same time, we don't, um, we don't use them as, as a, um, as something to bludgeon the other with, um, you know, I, you know, going back to what we were saying before, I think um, that that so many people, um, that combination of fear and and ignorance is something that that makes it difficult for people to to step back and um, take stock of their own uh, biases. But if we can, you know, this is what's great about dialogue is it it tones down the fear and it tones down the ignorance as well. People feel like they're learning something, and they also have that relationship with a person so they can they can turn down the fear a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I, I say to people a lot is, you know, Islamophobia is not going to simply be done away with um, by people learning more about Islam. I think it's, 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 it's a whole lot more than that. Um, it's about, uh, you know, seeing, seeing people uh, more fully for, for who they are. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, that's why relationship building is is so important because we we dial down that that fear. And and I also think the one of the uh, one of the the points that you that you address is empowering uh, the the everyday individual um, to right. to engage in <clears throat> not just interfaith dialogue but to just to to repeat what you just said about building relationships. Uh, the dialogue being the first the first step. Uh, and I think that's that's critically important because it's something that we generally tend to reserve for those who we feel are learned or qualified. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really really important. 
Yeah, well, um, you know, as you mentioned, um, dialogue we sometimes assume um, is just, you know, sitting around a table having theological conversations. It's something that's usually done by, you know, imams and scholars and priests and academics. Um, but what I love about the way that the Catholic Church talks about dialogue is it, it has a much more expansive definition. And one of the—the the, the Church divides up its um, view of dialogue into four, four different segments, and the one that I think is most um, important for people to be aware of is this, um, this idea of di- the dialogue of life. You know, this—it's just the sharing of our lives with um, people who are of different religious communities— and so what I hope the book can do is empower people to engage in this dialogue of life. And that can happen on so many different levels. Um, and, and I talk about, you know, at the end of the book, I, I give lots of ideas and suggestions and recommendations about how people can go about doing that. And one of the first ways, or one of the important things that I say there, I think, is that this relationship building doesn't simply, it doesn't only have to happen by, you know, making friends with um with people who are Muslim and, you know, changing all the events on, on your calendar. Because, you know, first of all, that's not always going to be realistic for a lot of people. A lot of people don't have the time or energy to, you know, change all of their activities. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, Muslim friends of mine have said, and I, I agree with them wholeheartedly, they say, you know, we know a lot of, we, we know a lot of Christians. Um, it's not, it's not us that need to, um, to know our Christian, you know, friends better, but it's other people that, that, don't know us very well. And, you know, I had a friend who said, I I can't spend, you know, all of my time engaged in interreligious dialogue so that people um, are less Islamophobic. And so, you know, my thought was, okay, well, how can we give Christians more of an exposure to Muslims without putting undue burden on the Muslim community? You know, it's, it's not Muslims' job to be parading themselves around and saying, you know, this is who we are and you know, um, please don't hate us. That's not that's not Muslims' responsibility. It's I think it's Christians' responsibility to to go out and and um, and and take take initiative. And so one of the things that I that I suggest is to, to Christians is you know follow Muslim accounts on social media, follow um, you know Muslim-led organizations or um, research institutions, uh, personalities, celebrities on so ordinary people on social media, because that's a great way to get to know the community. Um, you know, so much of the, of the engagement, social engagement that we have is online. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that I encourage, uh, my Catholic and other Christian readers and at the end of the book. And there's also so many other ways, um, on the, you know, the level of churches and mosques events that can be done, um, you know, whether it's an educational activity or, um, you know, a service opportunity, a meal during, uh, you know, the month of Ramadan, so many different things, and I give a lot of suggestions there. But the, the, the last thing that I, I'll just mention here briefly is um, a, a piece of advice that, that I hope people will, will hear, and that this, this piece of advice to Christians to say, don't go into this relationship that you're trying to build with your local Muslim community with your own expectations on it, but rather ask the Muslim community, you know, what do you need at this time? Um, how can we be of help and of service um, to you? Because, you know, there are so many um, challenges that are, are facing the Muslim community and our country at large right now, um, and different communities might need different things. So I, I encourage my fellow Christians to um, start that relationship building by asking, um, you know, their new friends how they can, how they can help. Yes. And 
<clears throat> excuse me, and, and as you, you well know and, and um, can attest to, that public perception of people um, of faith and, and of no faith are influenced and shaped by, uh, by media, by a great deal mm-hmm. by the media. And mm-hmm. there are hundreds of millions of dollars that are poured into yeah. creating uh, anti-Muslim uh, uh, feelings and sentiment. Uh, and that's, I think, that's also important in, in terms of, uh, of of seeing where we get our uh, where we get our biases from. I mean, of course, that extends beyond Islamophobia. That also extends to yeah. um, how we see one another, uh, ethnicities, you know, uh, mm-hmm. languages, uh, occupations, you know, the whole thing. Um, and I've, I've got a couple of couple other questions if I can throw them in there. Well, before you, uh, before sure. you leave, <laughs> uh, and and one is. Um, he said, asking uh, the, the importance of asking hard questions through examining uh, another person's faith, or, or in particular, we're talking about uh, Christians and, and, and Catholics um, not being averse to dialogue because they're afraid that it's going to pull them away. Uh, but mm-hmm. embracing this this journey to say that whatever questions come up, these are questions that, that are actually to my to my betterment. What are some of the questions? that that you came across um, as you began to learn uh, within your study of Islam? Sure. So what I'll first say is that having, having these deep and hard questions about religion is in, that's in many ways what spurred me to dialogue in the first place. Um, in the community, um, the Catholic community that I grew up in, I was really fortunate to have parents who always um, encouraged, you know, critical thinking and um, they very much fostered my, my curiosity when it came to religion. But my, my broader Catholic community at the time um, didn't really have good answers to the questions that I had, and I didn't even really feel like I was um, able to, to ask the questions that I had. And so that was one of the things that, that drew me to learning about other religions is because I was, I was interested in those questions and in those answers. Mm. Um, you know, and, and you ask also about what... Um, what questions arose in me as a result of dialogue? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, on the lo- we, you know, we can talk about, um, you know, things on the level of, you know, our doctrinal differences, whether it's, um, you know, Talheed or the Trinity or, um, you know, whether or not Jesus is divine and all of those things, um, all of those things come up and they can be, um, challenging for us to, to think about and to deal with and to bring into our own prayer and reflection. Um, but the thing that I always go back to, especially when I'm trying to, to, to learn from, from someone else about what their beliefs, you know, mean and mean to them, is I say, you know, what is, um, you know, what is, what is that doctrine or what is that thing that you profess? What does that mean to you? Um, you know, what, what is the, what is the kernel? What's the lesson there um, that, that, that doctrine um, uh, speaks speaks to you and, and to your faith tradition, and I think when we can sometimes when we can step out of our you know our religious jargon and um, begin to speak on a um, in, in a more not necessarily simple manner, but um, we, we can speak differently. I think sometimes we we can get over um, some of the humps that that seem to come up in the road when when we just stick to the level of um, you know this doctrinal um, language. And, you know, I think what, one of the things I would also say, too, is, 
you know, that I, I don't necessarily feel like I've come to um, more definitive answers on, on a lot of, you know, these theological questions. And I think, I think that's okay. I think the questions that are brought up in, um, in dialogue are healthy for us to, to live with and to wrestle with. Um, and one final thing I'll say about that, too, is I think that's why humility um, and having a broader perspective in dialogue is important, too, because, you know, when, when we're talking to someone of another faith tradition, they're presenting to us, um, you know, a very valid manifestation of their religious tradition, but it's not the only way that, you know, a person from that faith thinks about certain theological issues or certain um, other issues or, or topics related to their faith. So, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want people to, to you know, go into one conversation and think, oh, well, I've done dialogue and that's it, because I think there's a, it's, it's a longer journey. We have so much more to learn, and the wider that we can um, spread these conversations, the more people we can talk to, I think, the fuller picture that we'll have. Okay. Um, I have one last question for you, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and and I think it, it also goes to the to the root. Uh, excuse me, I've got a little something in my throat. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, it's not good on radio. Um, uh, and that is uh, with regard to Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, there, in my estimation, as, as I've looked, there is a there there seems to be a real movement to take the remembrance of, of God to take um, to take that, that type of thoughtfulness out of the public space and for and it's not to classify all Muslims because all, all Muslim women don't don't cover but they are just as Muslim as anybody else or all Muslim men don't have beards but for those who are identifiably if you will Muslim mm-hmm. uh, that they represent a mindfulness a remembrance of God that is not uh, that's not welcome with uh, in with regard to that to that mindset or that that agenda mm-hmm. that's being pushed. Do you think that Islamophobia is is rooted? Um, do you think it's partially rooted, or it has something to do with that visibility of Muslims? Well, I, I, I think it surely has has some has has a lot to do with the visibility of, of Muslims. I you know I don't necessarily know if it's a, if it's always a reaction to the fact that um, people who are visibly Muslim represent the remembrance of God, mm-hmm. um, because I, I'm not even sure a lot of a lot of Christians or or even a lot of uh, other Americans who are not religious would even associate um, those you know visible m- manifestations with mindfulness of God. I you know and, and it's unfortunate. Um, you know I think about. Uh, religious people that I know, uh, who, you know, who are Catholic, and for them, the um, the hijab for, represents, you know, not remembrance of God, but it rem- um, it represents, you know, oppression or, you know, people see a beard, and for them, um, that represents something negative. So I'm not even sure that a lot of the population is even conscious of of what the um, what these you know visible manifestations mean to, to Muslims themselves. Um, but, you know, I think, I think Islamophobia is such a multifaceted and such a, a deep problem. And, you know, that's, that's what makes it so difficult to, um, to, you know, to, to push back against and challenge. And I I think your comment kind of got at this, that, 
you know, Islamophobia operates, I mean, it's a form of racism, right? Mm -hmm. The people who are most, quote unquote, visibly Muslim are the ones who um, pay the price for it um, the most. You know, they're the ones that are most um, deeply impacted by it. And and I think Islamophobia um, also operates as racism in the fact that it's it's not just about interpersonal prejudice. Obviously, that's that's part of it, but it's it's a lot deeper than that, right? It's um, you know, it's a structural and systemic issue as well that's built into our media portrayals and our wars abroad, and you know, this this industry of people, as you mentioned, who make a lot of money, um, you know, vilifying Muslims. So it's 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 a multifaceted and multi-layered problem, and and unfortunately. Um, as, as you said, those who you know appear Muslim uh, end up being the ones that um, you know that are harmed the most by it. Okay. Well, uh, Jordan, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Um, and once again, I, I thoroughly, uh, really enjoyed the book, and I think that anybody uh, that reads it, whatever their faith tradition is, will will uh, will find value and benefit from it. Uh, where can folks keep up with you on uh, social media? Sure. So uh, people can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Jordan Denary. Um, I also have a, a public Facebook page that people can uh, can check out. And if they're interested in um, in the book, they can go to findingjesusamongmuslims.com. And there I have all the information for the different places that they can buy it, whether it's the, you know, the print copy or um, an ebook version, too. Okay. Well, thank you again, and uh, we pray for your continued success and hope to talk with you thank again you. in the future. Thank you. It was great talking with you. All right. Salam. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Radio Islam family, that was Jordan Denary Duffner. She is the author of Finding Jesus Among Muslims, How Loving Islam Makes Me a Better Catholic. And um, and like I said, I read the book. Um, it was it, it was it was a good read, and uh, it's easy. It's accessible. It's, uh, anyway, so um, we've got a few we've got a few minutes left. So I want to throw out a few uh, last minute announcements. Uh, number one reminder for tomorrow. Tomorrow is our first uh, book talk, our book club. Uh, we've been reading. Tomorrow's Thursday. Oh, tomorrow's Thursday! Wow, wow. Okay, it's not tomorrow. It's not tomorrow. <laughs> I thought. I thought today was Thursday. I thought tomorrow was Friday. All right. Well, Friday will be here soon enough, but we'll see you back here tomorrow at 6. Okay. Uh, Folks, we have come to the end of another uh, edition of Radio Islam. We want to thank our guest again, Jordan Denary Duffner. Uh, We want to thank you for tuning in. Our engineer over at WCEV, we thank him. Leonard, thank you very much, sir. Uh, Our engineer in studio. Assistant producer, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. Uh, I'm your host and producer, Tariq Kalamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, remember that the views expressed of the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. I think we got everything. So, folks, Radio Sound family, I'm going to leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.